Good morning. Thank you, Donnie, for the nice introduction. I am so honored to be here to share my story on Father's Day, and thank you for the opportunity. And happy Father's Day to the fathers out here. It is a very special day, and it's an honor to stand up here and see you out here with your families where fathers should be. As a role model, fathers should be in church with their families and their, and their, and their children. So thank you for being here. My wife, Leanne, and I, we've been coming to Rocky River Church for the past four years now, and we are so excited about being part of this wonderful church family. You guys are awesome. And serious, yes. Each and every one of you, from the day one that we met you, you, you've always been nice to us, and I'm sure, like everybody else, they're nice to everybody, but you guys are awesome. And Donnie does a great job, and Jimmy has done an awesome job of, of getting a team together behind him. And, and the band, you guys are awesome, too. We just love to hear you sing, so you guys do a great job. But before I begin, I must tell you, if it weren't for the grace of God, that I would not be here today to tell you my story. And I truly believe that from the bottom of my heart. This is truly a story of grace. Since my accident in 2007, I am thankful for every day, thankful that God has given me a second chance at life. I have shared my story with people all over the world, and I am humbled to share it with you today. Because of God's grace, my story brings a message of hope. I worked for Blythe Construction, as Donnie was talking about. Um, I've worked for them for over 33 years now. I know I don't look that old, but I am. And I started right out of high school, uh, running a piece of equipment, and worked my way up to a foreman, grade foreman, and superintendent, where I'm currently now a project superintendent, building the biggest project Blythe has ever had. It's the I-85 widening project through Cabarrus County, up into Rowan County. If y'all been up there lately, you see all those orange and white barrels, and uh, that's my project. It's a, it's a, it's a four-year job, and my wife, Leanne, and I, we get to stay here in Harrisburg area for at least four more years. And I may slow it down just a little bit so we get to stay longer. I'm, I'm just kidding. But now, the, the job, we're excited about the project. Uh, up there on 601, we're building a diversion diamond like we have at Mallard Creek and, and down at Poplar Tent. It's, uh, it's going to be a nice, beautiful interchange. Up at Dale Earnhardt, we're going to build a big flyover bridge coming across and, and where the traffic will merge in down by the rest area. And up at Lane Street, way up on exit 63, we're building those roundabouts, three of them up there. And it's, uh, that's going to change all three of those interchanges. So it's, it's going to be a really cool job. So we're excited about it. But like Donnie said, I, did, uh, I, was, I had the honor of finishing 485. I started the job from the very beginning. Oh, yeah. And uh, I, I got to finish it. I got to be the guy who opened it up that day and met the governor, all that good stuff. And it was a lot of fun. And uh, I took that whole team that I had over there on 45 and moved up to 85 to, uh, to build that project. Hopefully, we have the success that we had up there with uh, finishing on time and under budget. That's, that's part of my job. So that's, that's what it's called for. That's what I do for a living. But what I really love to do is farm. And I have a 50-acre farm down in Camden, South Carolina, where I grow corn to sell to the local deer hunters down there. On September 11, 2007, I left work early that morning to go down to my farm, pick a load of corn, put it in the barn, and get back to work that afternoon. But that didn't happen. I arrived at the farm about 11, 11.30. I get out of my truck, and I jumped on my 85-horsepower John Deere tractor, and I backed it up to my one-row corn picker. Now, a one-row corn picker is exactly what it sounds like. It picks corn one row at a time. It takes the ear of corn off the stalk, 
runs it through uh, elevators and rollers and another elevator and takes the ear of corn and throws it in the back of a wagon that's pulled in the back. Now, the rollers, there's six of them. As the, as the ear of corn is moved along, it takes the shucks off the corn and shucks fall to the ground when it's working right. Well, I hooked up to corn picker and then I backed up and I hooked up to the wagon. And then I take off out to the cornfield. I stopped just for a few seconds and looked over that big, beautiful field of corn. It was about 25 or 30 acres. I sat there and, and looked at it, and I thought, man, I'm a farmer now. It was really cool. Some of the best corn that we had grown up to that point. And then I took off out through the field picking corn. As you can imagine, picking the corn with a one-row picker would take a while, and it did. It took me maybe an hour, hour, hour and a half to get a load, and I was headed toward the barn, but I was having so much fun that I just wanted a little bit more, wanted another row. So I turned the tractor around and went back down the next row of corn. I get about halfway down through there, and I look down on the, my right front tractor tire, and it was going flat. So I turned the corn picker off, turned the tractor around, and started going back up to the barn. I get about 100 yards to the barn, and the tire is almost off the rim. I stopped the tractor. I get off, and I walked around, and I kicked that tire several times, and I said a few choice words that I won't say in here. And then I took off up to the barn to get my truck and a small air compressor. I brought it down. I hooked up the air compressor to the tire and started pumping up the tire. I knew it was going to take a while, so I walked around the corn picker. It's cut off. It's not, it's not running. And I started cleaning it off, cleaning the shucks and stuff off. And then I jumped up on the back of the wagon to check out those big, beautiful ears of corn. They were, it was awesome. And then I get off, and I turned around, and I looked in the back of the corn picker. There's an opening. It's about six or eight inches wide. And inside that opening is packed full of corn shucks. They didn't fall to the ground like they were supposed to. So I stick my hand inside that, the corn picker and start cleaning out all those corn shucks, throwing them on the ground. I get about half of them cleaned out, and then I, I grabbed a hold of a corn stalk that was stuck there and started pulling on it, and I couldn't get it to come out. So I cleaned out a few more shucks, and then I get up, and I walk back around the tractor, checked on the tire, and it's about halfway pumped up. And I almost cut that air compressor off to drive my truck up to the barn, but I didn't do it. I was only 100 yards away. I walked back around that farm tractor, reached up, and I turned, flipped on the power takeoff unit, which engaged the corn picker, turned it on, and I walked back around and looked inside that opening, and there was that corn stalk. It was still stuck in there. Well, all this safety stuff that Blythe Construction has taught me throughout the years, and there was a bunch of it, trust me, it is a bunch, and me being the project superintendent, safety is number one on our projects that I look after. Well, all that went out the window, because what I'm about to tell you, I never thought about doing. I just reached my hand inside that corn picker, that running corn picker, grabbed a hold of that corn stalk, and I pulled down. And that corn stalk still wouldn't come out. And then I pushed up, and when I did, it took that corn stalk along with my right hand up inside those rollers. There's six of them. One goes one way, one goes the other. Took it up, and then my fingers went down like this. I could not believe what had happened. It happened so quick. It took everything that I could do to keep my hand from being pulled further and further into that machine. From the very beginning, I was, I was, I was shocked. I was scared. I was cussing. I was screaming in pain, doing everything I could do to hold my hand back. I started for an hour and a half, from, for about an hour to an hour and a half, I did everything physically possible that I could do to get free from that machine, and I couldn't do it. I dug into the ground for dirt and rocks with handfuls, throwing it over the top of this machine, 
into those rollers hoping to jam it. I took my boots off, reached them over, and tried to push them down in there. I took my belt off, reached it over, hoping it would jam the machine, but nothing I did would work. And then I started, from the very beginning, blood was pouring down my arm, and the back of the, my hand was ripped apart. The chunks of meat and stuff was coming down through there. I knew I was in trouble. It was, I did, my cell phone was in my truck, which wouldn't have mattered. I didn't get service there on the farm. I had my company phone, and I didn't have my personal phone with me that day. And I'm back in on the farm about a half a mile from the busy road. I could hear the cars and trucks going by, but they couldn't see inside my farm for the big tall trees, 25, 30-foot tall pine trees. So it was just me, and I had to get free from that machine. And I did not want my family to come down there to find me dead on the back of this corn picker. I was going to do whatever it takes to get, to get free. At that point, it's when I turned to God. I cried out to God, please help me. I don't want to die here. I looked down right beside me where the trailer, the corn wagon, is hooked to the trailer hitch on the back of the corn picker, and it's held on there by a pin. I pulled that pin out. It's about four or five inches long. Took that pin, and I reached over inside the corn picker, and I started jamming that pin into those rollers. But it was too big to fit, and I almost got my left hand caught from the top side. Can you imagine that? I dropped that pin, and I pulled back, grabbed a hold of my forearm, put my knees up on the back of this corn picker, and I pulled as hard as I could. I physically tried to pull my hand off, and I couldn't do it. The harder I pulled, the further in it was eating away on my hand. I sat back, I calmed down, and I screamed for help as loud as I could, and I cried out to God again, please help me. I don't want to die here. On the back of that machine, there's, there's that trailer hitch. And I thought, man, if I could just get that off. That day, with God's help, I was able to pinch this old rusty carter pin together, pulled out this long 12-inch long pin, and picked up this trailer hitch, this chunk of metal. I thought, man, I have really got something now. And I was so excited. So I reached it over, and I started jamming it into these rollers, and it was too big, too wide to fit in between them. The, the rollers about a quarter of an inch apart. This metal is three or four inches thick. But I did it until I was exhausted. I finally threw it in there, reached back, grabbed my forearm, and this time I pulled harder than I ever pulled, screaming for help and crying out to God, please help me. I sat back, calmed down as best I could, picked up this long 12-inch long pin, and that day, that everything I had tried was the top, from the top side. Nothing would work. But that day, with God's help, I remembered on the side of the machine, the gears and the chains. I couldn't see around there, but the, they, the turn, the elevator, was over on the left side. So I stretched as far as I could. And when I did, I, I released the pressure on my arm and pulled my hand in even further. But I reached around with a pin, and I almost got my fingers caught in the gears and the chains. I dropped that pin pulled back around, grabbed over my forearm, again, put my knees up against that machine, and I pulled as hard as I could. I calmed down and reached back around, picked up this pin this time, and then I placed it between the gears and the chain and the big tire on the left side of the machine, and I finally had jammed that corn picker. After over an hour and a half to two hours, I finally had it jammed. I thought, man, all I got to do is pull my hand out, wrap it up in a T-shirt, drive myself down to the Kershaw County Medical Center, and I dreaded that call to my wife because I knew she was going to kill me for doing something so stupid. <laughs> but that didn't happen. I grabbed a hold of my forearm, and I started pulling, and I still couldn't get it to come free. 
I thought maybe the old work glove that I had been wearing was wrapped around the rollers, keeping my hand from coming out. So that morning, while I was getting dressed, I placed a little John Deere pocket knife in my pocket. I never carry a knife. I still don't carry a knife to this day. But that morning I did. It was laying on my chest. It had been given to me by the John Deere folks at the All-Star Race, and it had been there since May. Brand new knife. I placed it in my pocket that morning. I pulled the knife out, opened it up, and I reached over, cleaned all that stuff that I had thrown inside, those, inside the corn picker, cleaned it out, and I, I found my fingers, and I started cutting off my fingers. My hand was destroyed. I couldn't even feel what I was doing with my right hand, but with my left hand, I could tell I, I, I was, what I was cutting them off. I had three of them cut off and almost had my hand pulled free. When it, and, and I'm not just there doing this very easy. This corn picker is in a heck of a jam. It is just jerking back and forth. And every now and then, those rollers would spin just a little bit. And I thought, man, if this thing ever breaks free, that's the end of me because there's no way that I was going to get free. I was so tired. I was so exhausted. That's, every now and then, it would turn around, the slip clutch was turning, and it was throwing sparks onto the ground. So all those corn shucks that I had thrown out onto the ground erupted in a fire. It was like a gasoline fire. I couldn't believe it. I dropped the pocket knife, and I started pushing these burning corn shucks away from me to my left side, and it catches the big tire on, the, on fire on the side of the machine. With my right leg, I'm pushing the burning corn shucks around to the right side, and my leg is on fire. And inside that corn picker, it's still packed full, about half full of corn shucks. It's burning, and my right arm is in there. My arm catches on fire, and it, the skin is melting like plastic dripping. I screamed out for God, please help me. I don't want to burn to death. And my family come down here and find me in the back of this corn picker. What I'm about to tell you now, and I never, ever thought about doing, but like God took my left hand, I reached back inside that burning corn picker with flames shooting up through the rollers, and I went straight, with all that stuff in there, I went straight to my pocket knife, pulled it out, and I jammed it into my forearm and started cutting off my arm. Now, let me tell you about pain. My hand being ripped apart by those rollers, that was a lot of pain. Trust me, that, that, that was painful. Being on fire, my arm burning, my leg on fire, as you can imagine, that was very painful. But when I hit those nerves in my forearm, that was pain. Because I remember looking down on my mom and my wife, arguing to where I was going to be buried. That was a heck of a sight, let me tell you. My mom wanted me to be buried up in Kentucky beside my dad. And my wife wanted me to be buried in South Carolina, where she attended church. And I only did on special occasions. That was a heck of a sight. I also remember my son, Samson Jr., on his wedding day, he and his girlfriend at the time, they were in church. And they were getting married. And I was like, just looking right straight down on them. And I... I woke up shaking my head back and forth several times and continued to cut off my arm. To break the bone, I took the knife and started jamming it to my forearm, and I kept missing the bone. But what I did was I raised up as high as I could, and inside the back of that corn picker where my arm is stuck in there was real thin sheet metal, and I dropped to the ground, and that snapped the bones, and at the same time, the big tire on the side of the machine that's burning exploded. And it blew me back onto my back about two or three feet away from that corn picker. But that was like someone smacked me in the face and woke me up. It scared me. So I jumped up. Let me tell you about pain. My hand being ripped apart, that was painful. 
Being on fire, as you can imagine, that was painful. But when I hit those nerves in my forearm, that was a lot of pain. A lot of pain. I jumped up, ran around to my truck. With, with every heartbeat, I had blood shooting out the end of my arm. And I jumped into my truck, and I take off up to the road to get help. As I went by the barn, I was so thirsty. I cannot tell you how thirsty I was. And I almost stopped by the barn to get a drink of water. But I didn't do it. It was like someone was in the back seat of my truck screaming at me, don't stop, don't stop. You've got to get to the road. You've got to get help. And I didn't stop. So I drive on up the road, get up to the, five, uh, up to the edge of the road, it's 521, all kinds of cars and trucks going by. And I'd stick my hand out the window and I'd start waving at people trying to get them to stop, someone to stop, and nobody would stop. I thought, man, I'll make them stop. So I took my truck and I pulled it crossways in the road. I, I turned the air conditioner on high, put the truck in park, and I leaned the seat back and I said a little prayer to God. I have done all I can do. I'm in your hands now. People still drove around in front of my truck in front of me. Several cars went by. A big tractor and trailer goes by. I thought, man, I'm going to die right here. Nobody's going to stop. I'll never forget this older couple. There was A lady was driving. The gentleman was in the passenger seat as they drove in front of my truck, and I could see his blue eyes going through my blood-splattered windshield. But thank goodness they didn't stop. Can you imagine looking inside of my truck? I had never stopped. I never tried to stop the bleeding. I had my arm down on the armrest, and it had been spraying blood all over the dashboard, all over the windshield. Several more cars went by, and finally this guy opens up my door and says, Hey, man, are you okay? And I raised up what was left in my right arm, and I said, I think I need a little help. Well, this, this guy, <clears throat> he jumps back, and I never forget the sweat beads popping out on his forehead. And he said, don't move. I'll be right back. I said, man, I'm not going anywhere. He goes back. He goes to his car. This, this guy's name was Doug Spinks. Doug had left work early that day, and he was going, he was going home. And uh, he was a South, at the time, he was a South Carolina National Guardsman. But he was going home to Kershaw, where he was a volunteer fireman. He was not only a volunteer fireman, he was a first responder. He's the guy who trained the first responders. Doug had put his paramedic bag in his car that weekend, and he went back to his car to, to get it. And he came in, my passenger side of my my truck, and he started taking out these big bandages and put them on what was left of my end of my arm that had almost bled out by this point, one right after another, telling me to hold pressure on there. Meanwhile, the superintendent and me was telling him, hey, man, I need a helicopter, and I need some water. Doug was talking to the 911 operator, and he was having a heck of a time trying to keep me calm. And talking to her when a lady sticks her head into my truck. And she said, hey, can I help? Well, this lady, she had been sick. Her name was Karen Baker. She had been sick that day, and she had been to the doctor. Well, Karen, she's also a nurse. So that day, God had answered my prayer. He sent a first responder on one side of me, and I had a nurse on the other side of me. And, and God truly sent the right people. Amen? Amen. To this day, I, I've told my, this makes the third time I have told my story today. And every time I get coach hills standing up here. But every time I tell the story, because I truly believe God did send the right people. These two people knew exactly what to do. 
Karen kept me calm, kept talking to me, asking me all kinds of questions, and all I kept telling her was, I need a drink of water. Will you please give me a drink? I finally convinced her to reach back in my cooler in the back seat and get a water bottle out, and she poured it. She didn't give me a drink, but she poured it on a paper towel or something she had and started wiping off my forehead. And every now and then, there was a few drips of water would run down my cheek, and I would stick out my tongue, and I would get a few drips of water. As nasty as I'm sure it was with the blood, the sweat, and the old black suet from the tire on my face, that water was so good because I was so, so thirsty. The ambulance finally arrived, and it seemed like it took forever. They get me out of my truck, put me in the ambulance, and the paramedics there started the, uh, an IV, started giving me fluids, and they did bring in a helicopter, but it couldn't land where we was located. It was a few miles down the road where they were going to meet up with us, so the ambulance take off down the road. Meanwhile, Karen Baker started following the ambulance, and then she remembered what I had told her, that my farm was on fire. So she turned around, went back inside my farm, saw it was on fire, and she called the fire department to come to put it out. She saved my farm tractor and the rest of my cornfield. Meanwhile, back in the ambulance, we arrived at the the helicopter landed inside about the same time the helicopter was coming in. They get me out of the ambulance, put me in the helicopter, and I'm laying there on my back with the flight nurse right above me with these big, huge earmuffs over my ears. And he asked me if I was in pain, and I said, yes, sir, I am. And he gave me a first shot of morphine, and it was like a heat wave went over my body. I could feel it from my head to my toe. It felt so good. It felt so good that I actually thought I was... I was laying on my back looking up at that big, beautiful Carolina blue sky with those big, huge, white, puffy clouds, and I honestly thought I was going to heaven. So after over two, two and a half hours, I finally felt no pain. They didn't fly me to Charlotte like I asked them to. They flew me to Columbia, where it was much closer. We'd landed. I was awake the whole time. They'd get me out of the helicopter and take me straight into the operating room, or the ER room, and they throw me onto the table. I'm not sure if they threw me on the table, but it sure seemed like it. So I'm laying on my back, looking up at that big, huge, bright light, and there's 10, 12, I don't know how many, but they were surrounding my table, and every one of them doing something to me. And this one nurse, she had a pair of scissors, and she started cutting off my jeans. And I said, please, ma'am, don't cut off my favorite jeans. (laughs) Can you imagine seeing that in an operating room? Every one of them was doing something, and I'll never forget the last one told me, uh, said he was going to put me to sleep, and he was going to take care of me. And there they did. And in Columbia, they did the first initial cleanup of my arm, the amputation. But my burns were so bad, I had third-degree burns on what was left of my back of my right arm, third-degree burns on my hand and my fingers, and fourth-degree where it burned down to the bone on my right leg that that night they flew me out to, to Augusta, Georgia, at the Augusta Burn Center, where I was there for three more weeks and had six more major surgeries before returning home. While I was home, I had a nurse, and that was my wife, and she nursed me back to health. She was so positive. We, we, we cried a lot. We prayed a lot. We laughed a lot. We bonded together those two, two months, but she truly, truly nursed me back together. Thank you, Leanne. It's it just it was it was a special time. We could have been very negative about this situation, but we were she was she and there were times that I was negative. Trust me, it was not as easy as it sounds that I'm telling you. There was a lot of tough times during those two months. But she kept me focused on being positive and positive is very, very important. 
And while there, I was, there were three things I thought about a lot. Number one was getting back to work. And let me tell you guys, if you're stuck in your house for two months with your wife telling you everything that you can and cannot do, you'd be ready to go back to work too. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. <clears throat> I was serious. But, um, <laughs> but right after Thanksgiving of that same year, I returned to work back on my project that I was doing at the time. But the second thing was getting back to farming. I love farming. I wished I could farm full time. And, and when I did, I went out there in the same place one Sunday morning where the corn picker, the old burnt corn picker still sat in the same place. I walked out there in that cornfield, and I made peace with that corn picker, and that was very important, let me tell you. But I also, it was the same morning that I was going to church to be baptized. I was 44 years old, and I had never accepted Jesus as my personal Savior. My mom had seven children, and she made sure that all seven of us went to Sunday school and church every Sunday morning. Every time that door was open, we were there. For some reason, all six of my mother, brothers, and sisters, they were baptized, but for some reason, I never could get out of the seat to go to the, to go to the altar when, when the preacher called you to the altar. But in January, four months after my accident, I was baptized, and I accepted Jesus as my personal Savior. I'm here to tell you today, and I urge you, if you haven't Ask Jesus into your heart, I urge you to do so, that it will definitely change your life forever as it has mine. Trust me. So much has happened since then, and I know if it weren't for the grace of God putting the right people in the right place at the right time, that I would not be here today. Those two folks up there on, on the road that stopped, that was a God thing. Trust me. They knew exactly what to do. Every day when I wake up, I thank God for another day. Losing my hand and most of my right arm has been a real challenge. With everything I do, it takes a little more time, and I have to figure out how to do things just a little differently. I was right-handed back then. My brain still thinks right-handed when I try to do stuff left-handed. And it's a job, let me tell you. It's, it's a challenge. But because I have Jesus in my life, I can face everyday challenges with a positive attitude. And that is very important, trust me. Be positive. It's easy to be negative. I could be so negative about this story, and, it's, and that would be easy. But it's hard to be positive. Everything we do, everything you do, be positive. I am so thankful that God has given me a second chance at life. Everyone has a story to tell and faces all sorts of challenges. I urge you to ask Jesus into your life. Focus on the positive things that he has given you and give thanks to God each and every day. Thank you guys for having me here today, and God bless you all. Thank you very much. Thanks, sir. Samson, yes, sir. that's awesome. Let me ask you this question. Uh-oh. Have you got a new pair of favorite jeans yet? <laughs> this is my new favorite jeans right here. Trust me, these, these are them, so thank awesome. you. Thank you, Samson. Thank you, Donnie.